Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Spotlight Conversations. This afternoon, we have the honor and distinct pleasure of having a legendary figure in the world of jazz with us. Saxophonist, composer, arranger, and educator, let's welcome Mr. Odin Pope. Welcome to Spotlight on Jazz and Poetry, Spotlight Conversations. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with you, sir, and I'm looking forward to it. Let's start off with where are you from and, and who were your early musical influences? Well, basically, my both parents were educators as well as they were, or well, my mother, she was a school teacher, played the keyboard. My father was a great trombone player and great baseball player, and I'm originally from a little village called 96 South Carolina. And I was exposed to the big Baptist churches and singing and, you know, at a very early age and around 10, my parents arrived in Philadelphia. And I was very fortunate to be raised up in rich Philadelphia with some of the great musical minds this country has produced, like John Coltrane, Benny Gosen, and the whole just goes on and on. And I, I feel extremely blessed that I was raised at this time because uh I was exposed to so much, not only music, but the the whole uh, artistic system that we are confronted with daily, like uh, the whole evolution of jazz and the principles and the things we should do. When did your your formal education in uh, music start, and how far reaching did it take you? I mean, did you go overseas for any of your education? Yeah, I studied at an early age. I, I was fortunate enough, well, not an early age, but I was fortunate enough to study with some of the great minds. I, I played with Max Roach for the last 25 years of his life, and some of my early on teachers was uh, people like Kenny Clark, who I had the opportunity to study with at the Paris Conservatory. And he was one of the great forerunners of the trap drums, and he influenced people like Max Roach, uh, Art Blakely and Pop Joe Jones, that group. And I feel very blessed and honored to have studied with him. And then from that, I was able to study with people like Max Roach and Archie Shep at the University of Amherst, which during that period, I used to, we used to do master classes annually at the Amherst you know, University. But early on in Philadelphia, some of my early teachers consists of like Ron Rubin of the Philadelphia Orchestra uh, and was like a whole host of people like Benny Gosen, uh, Jimmy Heath, uh, the whole system here in Philadelphia was a great, great learning process. Jimmy Murray. And also I finished, when I finished Franklin High School, that's when I was blessed with John Coltrane. I just had came out of high school and John Coltrane had was asked to join the Miles Davis Quintet, and that's when uh, he asked me to continue the engagement that he had with uh, Jimmy Smith's group. And from working with Jimmy Smith for a short while, I got quite a bit of recognition and was exposed to a lot of people, and a lot of people started looking at me in terms of that, well, let's use Odin because I think he's qualified to do the job. And from that experience, Jimmy Murray introduced me to Max Roach, and it, I mean, the opportunities just was just coming. So I, I feel very blessed that I was at an early age on, was in, 
introduced to people like John Coltrane, Benny Gosen, the Heath Brothers, and the names go, you know, it just goes on. Yeah, yeah, McCoy Tyner, McCoy Ray Tyner, Bryant. No doubt about that. And, and, and Sweet sweet Clifford Brown. Sweet Clifford Brown, that's right. People, <laughs> you know, when I was around 16, there was a place called Bill and Lou's at 17th and Dolphin. As a matter of fact, I live right around the corner from that. And that was my first encounter to Clifford Brown. Uh, he and Wilbur Campbell was a great saxophone player from Philadelphia. He died at a very early, early age. They were working at a place called Bill and Lou's. And during that time, they used to keep the doors open. And I used to go around. At that time, they was working six nights a week. And I went around a place called Bill and Lou's at 17th and Dolphin. And I used to go around almost every night, just stand outside and listen to Clifford Brown and Wilbur Cameron and that group. And that was one of the most inspiring uh, musical experiences of my whole entire life. And I think that's what sort of geared me into the direction saying that I really want to use music as one of my main things that I would do in life. Um, wow, wow. You know, it said that many of your, well, it's common knowledge, a whole lot of people from Philly, a lot of the, the musicians or whatever, they went to New York, you know, many more clubs or whatever up there. But to our, I guess, benefit here in Philadelphia, you decided to do most of your your work and stuff in Philadelphia. Why was that? Well, I think uh, I was raised with a very loving family, plus I had some uh, personal ties here in Philadelphia that I just saw at the time a tremendous need to be here. And as opposed to going to New York, I, you know, and I decided to just stay here and study. Plus, during that period, there was a lot of opportunities here for me. I was teaching with, you know, with the school systems. I was doing, you know, a lot of things. I had all kind of uh, uh, musical uh things that I was involved with and I just saw a tremendous need this is Philadelphia is a great place to be and I saw a tremendous need uh, I'm a very pioneer uh, I I really believe in uh, what what we call a continuing like helping our young people and I was involved in many projects that was geared towards passing information on down to young people so I didn't want to break those ties I, it was a lot of I was involved in a lot of things. That's the bottom line. In order for me, if I had went to New York, I would broke all those ties. Mm. My parents and we touched on it a little when we first uh, when we first started talking. My parents used to tell me of the a lot of the jazz clubs in in and around Philadelphia, like Pep's Show Bar on Broad and South and the Showboat, the Clef Club, the Sahara Lounge the uh, Heritage House on Broad and Master, and even across in Jersey, I think it was in Cherry Hill, I'm not sure, the Latin Casino. Um, what kind of memories do you have of them, and, and do you see jazz in particular, but the clubs making a comeback here in our city? I think eventually that's going to happen through the education system that musicians now, what they are doing, they're stretching out, and the universities and the schools they are reaching out to jazz musicians to bring the music into the school as well as the universities uh, i'm working primarily in teaching with uh, the university of the arts and some other people like settlement music school and i think just a whole host of 
different uh, universities and schools. As a matter of fact, I conduct workshops uh, out Drexel uh, sometime annually. And I think with this kind of attitude, people bring in music into the educational system, and uh, the music is complementing the educational system in a sense. And from the from my perspective of seeing all of the many, many clubs in Philadelphia just go, and hopefully at some point they'll come back, like you mentioned, the Peps, Showboats. I experienced going to those places. As a matter of fact, I played with Max Roach at the Pep, which is Broadway South. That was one of my early experiences of playing with some of the great musicians. Then they had the Showboat. Uh, it was just so many places. They had a place called the Woodbine Club on 13th Street, where all of the musicians would come together collectively after hours, like Benny Gosen, John Coltrane, Johnny Coles, and just a whole host of musicians would come together at this particular place, and they would jam from, say, from 2.30 until maybe 6 o'clock in the morning. Then there was a place at Broad and Clummy was called The Lens. That was another place where all the musicians would come and collaborate. And when you start mentioning jazz clubs, I can name you from 8th and Columbia Avenue. There was, uh, was a club called the 820 Club at 8th and uh, at, during that time before it was changed to Cecil B. Moore. It was the Columbia Avenue. Mm -hmm. there, was a, there was a club called 820 Club. There was another club at 12th Street called the Cafe Society. Then cross Broad Street, you had the Crystal Bar, you had the Web. You had the North by West, you had the, the Point, that's where Jimmy Oliver used to work all the time. And then you had in North Philly, throughout North Philly, you had clubs at 13th and Diamond. There was a place called Cafe Holiday, which was a, I mean, people really used to support that. Then on Susquehanna Avenue, you had like the Sunray Bar, you had the Cotton Club, out West Philly, you had the 2421. You had the Aqua Lounge, you had Silks. It was just a host of places where, and these places were where you would dress up, places where you would have music six nights a week. Then there was another place uh, down uh, Center City uh, was called the was called the the Web Web not Web there was a Web Bar, and there was Spotted Kellys, which was at in Center City. It was just a whole host of great entertainment and I think with the musicians stretching out to our young people and we educating our young people I think eventually that's going to happen well a lot of these places are going to come back yeah I um, um, you know in talking with my you know with my parents and I'm talking about when I was you know when I was around seven eight years old and I like to tell the story that um, how I you know, got real familiar with the music, you know, and it, it always, just like anything else, it always starts at home, you know, and, um, you know, my parents ran a, a speakeasy back in the day, and, um, you know, the, they used to be in the basement of our home, um, you know, entertaining, they had the, the, my dad had the crap table going, and the poker table, my, my mom had the bar going, and, the, you know, and all of the food and stuff. But the music was upstairs, the music. Okay. And, of course, I couldn't be downstairs with all the grown folks. So they used to always say, boy, go put them, put that music on. You know what we want to hear. And it was stuff like, you know, Coltrane, Errol Garner, you know, Nancy Wilson, that kind of thing. And that's how I got to, um, you know, learn about the music, reading the liner notes and whatnot on the back of the album covers. You know what I mean? 
Well, you know, that's a big that's a big thing. I think uh, for the most part, that's how a lot of the young people are. And I think now what I'm seeing now, like, you know what Lovett Hahn is doing at the club club, I think he's doing a tremendous, he's doing something very, very special. He's He's got a host of young people at the club club where they come together. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to be a part of that because maybe uh, eight, nine years ago, I had received a grant from Chamber Music America to conduct a workshop. And from that workshop, I'll tell you who was there at the time. Uh, Justin Fawson, who's the young drummer, the young killer drummer that's coming out of Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fawson and Justin, yeah. During that period, he was around 16, uh, maybe 14. And during that time, when I heard him play, because his mother used to be with him every Saturday morning. As a matter of fact, his mother... She used to come and set up. That's how energetic she she was. She used to come and set. When I would get there on Saturday, it was a workshop between 11 and 2. Every Saturday morning, I would get there around 10.30. Justin and his mother, they were there. They were setting up the band. And, and I knew from that, just seeing that, I said, here's something very special. So from that experience, Lovett Hines is really doing a great thing here in Philadelphia for the young people and I think not only that particular one also Tony Williams is also doing some great things mm. so I think with this kind of attitude and the people coming together collectively by Linkster he was one of the forerunners and still is that's why we pay tribute to him tonight he was one of the forerunners that I this, this was a wonderful experience for me at 2000 he took about 60 people to New York to do a performance at the Lincoln Center, which is, of course, everybody knows in New York City. They had a, they had a program called Jazz Series Outside, Outdoors. And he took Bob Perkins and a, two buses from Philadelphia. It was about 60 people. And we went to New York and we did a performance. And he's one of the forerunners along with Lovett Hines, Tony Williams, and I can name, name just a host of a lot of other people, Don Gardner. It's just, just a whole host of people in Philadelphia, Sonia Sanchez, who are coming together trying to educate our young people and pass information on down. So I think that's what it's about. It's a continuing. As long as we can really give our young people the foundation and pass that great information down to them. That's why I'm a firm believer in I think jazz and poetry, they run parallel to one another because they are very creative and they're also passing information down to our young people. Mm. Mm. And that's, you know, that's exactly what Spotlight on Jazz and Poetry, this program is about. Um, you know, about talking about the importance of each to our, to the human culture in general, but to African-American culture in particular. Um, and the, the importance of the, the historical side because, you know, um, the poetry goes way back and so does the jazz music. It goes way back and, you know, a lot of the young people, we don't, we don't turn them on to it. They're not exposed to it as much as I think we should. At least if they, you know, if you let some of these young people today, my youngest, you know, included, but not so much now because I've been drilling it in them. But, you know, they would think that hip-hop and some of this, um, nothing against it, don't get me wrong, nothing against it at all, but some of this, that's where it started. 
and <clears throat> you know they have to understand let's just take hip-hop for example or rap or whatever that's poetry okay that's what right. that is and and also the the whole um the battling that they do they call it freestyling or whatever that's nothing but let's say uh dizzy gillespie and charlie parker going Absolutely. at it back and forth you, you see the correlation and, and trying to you know teach them about it or we used to have um in early early hip-hop i'd say back in the 80s or whatever we had um the rapper his name was uh dougie fresh he used to be the human beatbox and i equate his style and what he was doing with louis armstrong when he recorded heebie-jeebies and started doing the scatting same thing absolutely and well, you know, and well you know max roach uh in 19 1982 he was one of the first jazz drummers to to perform and record with a, like a rapper. Max Roach was that forerunner as long as as well as Miles Davis. Miles Davis recorded with Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. So I think, in a sense, when you look at the whole picture, uh, hip hop, uh, rap, poetry, uh, jazz music, gospel music, when you look at the whole picture. They are related in, in a great sense, and that's why I try to never not condemn any of it because it's here with us, and whether we like it or not, we have to pick out the good and the bad, and there's, there's good and bad in everything. So my, my whole sense about all of the different aspects of the disciplines are we should be able to live with it, we should be able to get something from it, and, and above all, there's a there's a market for all of it, and I think the bottom line is we try to uh, young uh, educate our young people with the great history, and there's a great history in all of it. Just like you were saying, there's a history in all of the different aspects of the music that we perform, gospel music, which my parents was deeply rooted into. The uh, that's where my saxophone choir came from, the Baptist Church. I was exposed to the big I mean, I mean, huge uh, Baptist choirs, and from that experience, uh, I was inspired to form uh, nine saxophones, piano, bass, and drums to find. That's why I call it the, the saxophone choir, because from that early experience, around eight or nine, I was exposed to this. I mean, my mother, she was the director of it, and it was something very special. And then from that experience, I. When we came to uh, to Philadelphia, at a very early age, I think I was around 19, I got an opportunity to, to play with one of the great blues players of all our time, Tiny Grimes. Mm. I worked with Tiny Grimes' group for about, for about a year, and from that experience, it exposed me to rhythm and blues and just a whole host of that whole things because he played with some of the great, great players like Fat Fowler and and, uh, you know, it was like a connection there between all of the different forms, rhythm and blues, bebop, and jazz. So I feel very blessed primarily because I've been exposed to not only the, the jazz aspect, but playing behind people at the uh, Uptown Theater. I was in the pit band at the Uptown Theater for, for many years. As a matter of fact, Stevie Wonder was around 12 or 13 when he first came to the Uptown Theater. And I was fortunate enough to be in that uptown band. Mm. 
James James Brown, The Temptations. Now that was a place maybe we could just talk about for a minute. That was one of the mm-hmm. historic spots. Georgia Woods, he was the promoter of that uh, uptown theater. And from the early 60s, uh, mid-60s, say the mid-60s up until maybe the the late 70s, it was like an ongoing uh, project once a month where Georgia Woods would bring people like the Temptations, uh, Stevie Wonder, the Jackson Five, uh, Aretha Franklin, Nancy Wilson, Sarah Vaughn. Uh, it was just a whole, it was a place where once a month, he would bring together like a re, what he called it was a review. Uh-huh. It was a show, like people used to come, they used to have like matinees, and it was a thing where you would go in on a selected day, the matinee show would start at 12, you would have two shows from 12 to 5, and then you would come back at 7, you would have another show, then you would have a midnight show. So from that experience, man, it was like a... It was like going to the highest institution in the whole world from that just from that experience. You talking about the Uptown Broad and Dolphin? Yeah, I yeah, remember, Broad and Dolphin. I remember my, <laughs> I remember my, uh, my brother used to, you know, he he wanted to go. Right? I have I have one older brother. He used to want to go to the Uptown, and but he couldn't go because my parents would say, "Well, you have to take your brother." So you know, I was seven years younger than him, so I was busting his groove, I guess, in a sense. So. <laughs> you know, but I went and got a chance to see a whole lot of this, and I didn't really, for a while, didn't really realize who a lot of these people were. But I knew that it sounded good. You know what I mean? Well, man, Philadelphia uh, is responsible for turning out some some great minds, as well as exposing the people in Philadelphia to some great minds. And I, I just feel blessed to to be a part and be here in Philadelphia because I've experienced some wonderful uh historic things here in philadelphia and i think some of those things like we was talking early i think i can see it on a rise in a sense because you have a few places that are really trying to even though they might be in the schools or different venues in the school system but i think our young people are beginning to get a little bit more of the education and the historic part of what uh, the, the artistic part is about as well as the education part Mm-hmm. This um, let me ask you about um, the funkiest band you never heard of, Catalyst. Tell me about tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, Catalyst. Uh, there's another. There was another great forerunner by the name of Arthur Hall. He he had four disciplines. He had uh, the dance, um, the art. Barbara, Barbara, she was the part of the arts. Then they had the music department, and then they also had the visual arts. So it was about three locations around Philadelphia. The music department was at 8, 810 North Broad Street. The visual and art part was at the Church of the African, and he had the dance uh, component at on Germantown Avenue, Germantown, and, and was like around Germantown and Dolphin in that area so he came when he started this program uh, he came to me and he said well look uh, this is my vision and this is what I like to do and he said I would like for you to be a part of the music department if possible so during that time it was Fred Joyner 
And I, so we was going to be a part of the music department. It was at 810 North Broad Street. So we was working four days a week from four in the afternoon until 8 p.m. So out of that, we developed a margin band. We, we developed a dance group. We developed a, a jazz band, which I was the director of the jazz band. We had people like Philly Joe Jones there. We had Tyrone Brown, Jimmy Murray, uh, Eddie Green. Sherman Ferguson, and was some great teachers. George Allen, he was there. Uh, Carol Mitchell. It was a so it's a whole great staff of people working there. And from that experience, uh, I was able to to eventually bring Sherman Ferguson in to be a part of the percussion ensemble, and he eventually bring Tyrone Brown in to be be the bass teacher, and eventually Eddie Green. So from that experience, we start. I had keys to the place, and we had access to the place uh, 24 hours whenever we wanted to go. So we start rehearsing. And from those rehearsals, Eddie Green was a great composer, and he, at the time, he composed and arranged some nice compositions. So we start to rehearse. And from that experience, we went into the studio, uh, Sigma Sound Studio. That's no longer there, I don't think. Sigma Sound Studio was the major recording studio here in Philadelphia. We went there and we recorded, so there was a producer uh, in New York. They liked what we were doing and they recorded us. So we, during that period, we recorded from 72 up until maybe around 75, we recorded four CDs. Mm. And that's where that uh, catalyst, that those four Ds came from, came from out of uh, Model City's program, arts program. Mm, and you play, um, you play many instruments. I mean, you play the clarinet, the oboe, piccolo, flute, piano. How did you settle on the saxophone as your, your primary musical voice? Well, you know, uh, when I first started, I started out playing the clarinet. Uh, I played the clarinet for a while. I was studying with the a very fine teacher down down south uh, South Philly at Wartless. In fact, he was John Coltrane's teacher as well. And I studied with him for a while. Uh, then I started thinking about maybe the harmonic concept of what what should go along with that. So I started studying piano. And Ray Wright and Raymond King and a whole lot of other people around who was playing the piano. Uh, I, you know, took lessons with them. Hassan Minali was one of my great, great music teachers. He was the great forerunner of some of the extremely modern techniques and things that even John Coltrane and the young people are doing today, McCoy Tyner. So I had the opportunity to live right around the corner from him, and I used to study with him as well. So I touched on the piano, then maybe later on when I went to Franklin, uh, to get in the jazz band, I started playing the saxophone. So from, you know, going through working with all of the different instruments, I just seemed like the saxophone was a more natural instrument. It felt better to me. You know, even though I, I was, I was, I'm extremely grateful that I have a knowledge of the other instruments, but it's just not enough time in a day for me to spend with all of the instruments, even periodically I pick them up, but the saxophone to me is my voice. Mm. 
in in my opinion, uh, jazz doesn't get nearly enough recognition like on on TV, on any of the awards programs, or even on radio. I mean, we have on on you know regular radio, we have WRTI, and they've been cut in half as far as how they they reformatted the program with classical. And I like classical music too, but it used to be 24 hours jazz, um, you know. But what do you think we can do to help help uh, change this? Well, you know, it's strange you would say something like that because I was just in Chicago doing the Umbrella Jazz Festival, and there's a group of young people out there who who have been very successful in doing this this festival. Uh, my manager Dina Adler, along with Chris. Uh, Mark Christman that was responsible for taking me uh, making it possible for me to go out there so I, we went out Marsha Allen, Lee Smith Craig McGowan, we went out to do a concert and I got a chance to talk to the young people so they were saying the same thing they said well you know I've been reading the history of Philadelphia at one point Philadelphia had a great uh, jazz history I said well Philadelphia still do we still have a great jazz history? We might not have the uh, the outlets that we had, some of the outlets we had before, but I say it's still a great place. It's still turning out great musicians. So, so they were saying the same thing in regards to their radio station. They said, well, you know, I think there's room to have a, a classical station, also a jazz station, so the people can really get a chance to check out uh, each one of those components very freely get 24 hours of classic. So they said, well, in, in Chicago, fortunately, we have a complete jazz station and we have a classical station. So I'm, I don't know. I think at some point, you know, at some point, uh, that's probably going to happen in Philadelphia again also is to have a complete, because I, I think the classical music should have a greater outlet as well as the jazz station should have a great outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, when when you're performing in front of an audience, like you said, you went up to Chicago and and up in New York at uh, Jazz and Lincoln Center. But when you're performing in front of an audience, what do you hope they gain from the Odin experience, uh, Odin Pope experience? And in turn, what do you hope to gain from the audience that's listening to you? Well, one of the things I focus on is the one people. Uh, I would think I think. From my experiences, music is one of the unique vehicles that bring all peoples together, whether they're from Germany, whether they're from uh, Paris, whether they're from Japan. I've, I perform, had the opportunity to perform in Paris, uh, all over Europe, Japan, Brazil, Jamaica. And my one thing that I always receive from all of these different groups of people, they had one thing in common, they lacked music. So... I think what I would like to see is a one people where we would bring, and when I, when we perform, when I look out, when I perform at the Blue Note, when I look out, there's all kind of nationalities in the, in the audience. And I really like that. I'm, I'm lacking that primarily because I'm thinking my music is able to bring people like this together. And collectively, hopefully at some point, this is going to be, we're going to have a one people. Mm. Mm. And what I mean by the one people is we all respect one another regardless what their beliefs are, whatever their convictions may be. We all should have the same opportunities and the same uh, to be 
respects it as one people. Yeah, yeah. I had um, I had the pleasure, like I, you know, said to you uh, earlier, of seeing you perform with um, another legend, uh, Sonia Sanchez, in the world of poetry. And what you just said goes along with the program that she has now. She's the, you know, poet laureate for uh, the city of Philadelphia. And she has the well program. Deserved. Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And, and she has the uh, program, the Haiku for Peace. And we touched on that when I had a conversation with her a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, about it just gives everyone the opportunity just to turn around and look each other in the eye and say, you know what, hey, you're, you're a person just like me. Right. And you get to share ideas back and forth. And I think that's just a beautiful thing. And it was, it was good hearing you say that, um, you know, because that's what it's all about. We're, we're, we're only here. We're like grains of, of sand in an hourglass. And we're only here for a certain amount of time. So we might as well, you know, get to love one another and share and keep this whole thing, this life and, and bringing up our children, do all of this together instead of a lot of the nonsense that's going on out here. I agree 100%. And I think, again, when you look, uh, from my experiences, uh, and I've, I've been blessed with uh, to work and travel with some of the greatest minds this country has produced. And when I look back on some of the uh, some of the experiences and some of the, the things like working with all the different people that I've been, you know, fortunate enough to work with, and all of the my different teachers, I think this great gives me a greater sense of how important it is to come together collectively and work together as one. Um, when, well, since we were talking about um, your performing, and this evening uh, you'll be doing some some a tribute program to another legend in the in the, the jazz world, another Philadelphia legend, uh, Mr. Bayard Lancaster. Can you want to expound on that a little bit? Yeah, Bayard Lancaster. Uh, I'm very happy and grateful that. I lived during his time. I met Byard some years ago, and Byard was gifted with a very special gift, the same thing we're talking about. His whole thing has been, how can we come together as one people? How can we teach our young people? What can we do to make not only ourselves better, but our community and other communities around the world? And he's been one of the He's been one of the forerunners to be a part of that great movement. Uh, 1980, I went to uh, Jamaica with Max Roach, and they asked me to teach at the university down there. And at the time, I was involved with traveling with Max, and I didn't have the time, so I asked Byard what he you know, considered. So he went down, and I think Byard stayed there for about four or five years teaching at the university. And he built so many different, he brought so many people from Philadelphia down to Jamaica, and not only from uh, from Philadelphia, but from all over, because Byard was loved, and he still is loved from all over the world, because from his travels, he's taken groups of people to Paris, he's taken people to New York, Jamaica, and Europe, uh, in fact, Marnette, and Rufus Harley, and just a whole host of people he 
had the wonderful opportunity to, to take to Europe and to record and to do a performance. And Byatt has always been that visionary person who can see things that other people can't see. And, and I'm just so grateful and blessed that I'm living in his time. And I just hope he can be here for a long time. Oh, yes. yes that will be a blessing. Do you have any, any advice for any young people that may want to pursue a career in entertainment in general, but in jazz, uh, in jazz music in particular? Any kind of yeah, advice? well, my advice would be to seek as much information, not only in music, but above all, make sure you go to school, get a good education. Education should be your priority. You should try to get as much information about everything. Information is the secret and the cue to being very successful. Without a good education, without information, you're going to be lost. So my truly advice to our young people, above all, don't sacrifice education for anything. Go and get a good education. Try to learn as much as you can. And above all, talk to people and be willing to be humble. Be willing to accept criticism. Be willing to to ask if you something that you are not familiar with. Ask it. I mean, I mean, ask the older person. Respect the young pe old people as well as the young people. And above all, be very humble. You know, it's it's good to hear you say that as well. And and like we were talking about different terms that we like and 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 different catchphrases or whatever. I like to. Um, I like to say are more established citizens. You know, I like to try to stay politically correct. You know what I mean? Right. I, in the kind of in the kind of work that I do, I'm a respiratory therapist by by trade, and I've been doing that for like thirty, thirty two years. But of course, you know, I I get to work with a lot of our more established citizens, and you know, they have a lot to say. That's because right. they've seen a lot and they've done a lot in their lives now. You know, some some people now, you know, their faculties may be a little off, so we have to allow for that. But a lot of people, the only reason that they don't get to share information is because no one is willing to talk to them, especially the young people. Absolutely. And And I'm always, you know, ready to, you know, talk and find out, you know, you know what's going on. Tell me you know, a little bit about, you know, the world. And you can always learn from, you can always learn from them. And and the same goes with the young people. You can learn from them as well. I mean, it's all like a collective, and we have to do it, you know, and share, uh, you know, together. But I really love talking with, you know, our, our citizens that have been out here for, you know, two or three times, at least two times my lifetime, you know. Um, you know, get a chance to learn from them. Because everyone has, something to say that's right you know you know that the the most important i think some of the issues that we overlook in life is when we can sit down uh whether you disagree or agree with somebody we can sit down peacefully and just talk and express ourselves i mean there have been so many there have been so many people that I've sat down and talked with, we talk, and maybe some things they agree with me, maybe some things they don't, maybe some things I don't agree with them. But at the same time, I think having that respect for that person who believes in what they believe in, as well as what you believe in, because I think one of the, one of the things to ask yourself 
why am I so right? Why, why, why is the, why can I respect the other pe- person to also be strong in his conviction? I'm strong in my convictions, so I respect this person to be strong in their convictions. I think once we can get those two things together, it's going to be more peace and it's going to be more happiness for all all people involved. Yeah. Now you have um, where can where can you know the listeners go and and pick up some of that vast vast amount of music that you have uh, available. When can, where can we go and get some of it? Well, you can go to my website, which is www.odinepope.com, or you can go to my Facebook, uh, www.facebook.com, and information, uh, my recordings. Uh, schedule is up there. There's a lot of information up there, and you know you can you always go there. And one of the things I like to add, I have a very important job coming up on the 16th, March 16th, and it's going to be at the Psalm Salon, and that's located at 5841 Overbrook Avenue. We're going to be doing two performances, starting at eight with a short break. And we go back and do another short. So this is going to be something very special. It's a historic house in Overbrook section that was converted into like a little concert site. And it holds about 60 people with standing room only. So I would suggest you go to my website or go online and try to get some advanced tickets. That's going to be something very special. And I have some killer musicians, Lee Smith, Craig McGarry. It's going to be trio. And we're going to be doing some very special music. So again, it's at 5841 Overbrook Avenue. Performance is beginning at 8 p.m. sharp. All right. I'll get to see the legendary Odin Pope and his trio, Lee Smith and uh, who's the other gentleman? Uh, Craig MacGyver. Yeah, Craig MacGyver. They're going to be throwing down. I've seen them uh, perform before. I've had that, that pleasure. Uh, of seeing seeing some fantastic music, um, Odin Pope is just a a wonderful person, and it's just such a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you at length, and a pleasure to meet you. Like I said at the uh, art gallery, um, that was just that was just amazing um, experience for me. Um, and I'd like to just thank you for taking time out from your schedule to uh, speak with us here at Spotlight on Jazz and Poetry, Spotlight Conversations. In closing, you got the floor, sir. Anything you would like to say or talk about, just go for it. Okay, first of all, I'd like to just say special thanks to two people who've been very instrumental in uh, like really helping me, and they, they are really into the music and promoting the music. My manager, Dina Adler, also Grassy Eller, uh, she's a wonderful person. She's the, one of the producers of the West Oakland Jazz Festival here in Philadelphia. And they've just been so instrumental in like promoting and helping the whole system here in Philadelphia, trying to bring the great music and to bring people together and also to make this a better place and a better listening place for people to come out. And i also like to add, it's been a tremendous honor and pleasure 
for me to have the wonderful opportunity to come on your program and just talk about some of the issues that we have here. Oh, well, thank you so very much, sir. It was, it was definitely my pleasure to have you um, here. And again, ladies and gentlemen, saxophonist, composer, arranger, educator, humanitarian, Mr. Odine Pope. Thank you so much for taking time out and joining us here on Spotlight Conversations. It's been a pleasure, and thank you so very much for having me. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back next time with more Spotlight Conversations. So stay tuned. Peace.